political bullshit. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We spent an awful lot of time over the past few weeks trying to figure out and then explain what's happening to our country. At times it's been depressing, but it seems important. At this point, it's pretty clear that nothing is what we're told it is. These are not protests. This is not about George Floyd. It's not about systemic racism, whatever that is. America is not a racist country. You are not a bad person for living here. So first off, he totally misrepresents what systemic racism is. He starts by saying he has no idea what it means, saying whatever that is. And he should have just left it at that. But of course, the tuck never wastes an opportunity to misinform his base. So systemic racism does not mean America is a racist country and that all Americans are racist. And if you live here, you're a bad person. No, it's not representative of the being itself. It's more like an infection. America isn't bad. It's infected. And just as you aren't a bad person for living in America, as Tucker would cl claims we believe, we aren't bad people for acknowledging and trying to cure this infection of systemic racism. So this is where a lot of people get lost in the whole Black Lives Matter conversation and the whole police reform or defund the police conversation. And those that oppose it, they share videos or articles of black cops inciting violence on innocent people and white people being the victims of police brutality. And they say, see, it's not a race thing. See, cops are amazing and racism isn't real. But that's because they don't understand what systemic racism means. Likely because of people like Tuck spoon feeding them these lies about what it means every night. So of course, all cops aren't racist. Of course, a case of police brutality against a black person doesn't mean the cop is personally racist. Some are, of course, I'm sure plenty are, but that goes for anybody walking around out there. Of course, there are some racist people, but that's not the issue because that diverts attention away from the main issue. The reason police brutality and race are connected, it falls back on class and poverty and class and poverty falls back on opportunity. So policies like broken window policing, stop and frisk, investigative traffic stops, they were created to try and cut down on crime in areas where crime is more rampant. So crime is more rampant in poverty-stricken neighborhoods. And so you can say slavery ended a long time ago all day long, but that doesn't mean racism ended. That doesn't mean segregation ended. And most importantly, that doesn't mean that the large gap in opportunity closed. So this led to these poverty-stricken neighborhoods being disproportionately populated by minorities. So these policing policies disproportionately affected minorities, and thus a cycle begins. So if you lived in one of these neighborhoods, you're more likely to be convicted of a crime, much more likely than a higher class individual that would commit the same crime. You're also more likely to be convicted for a crime you didn't commit, something that would likely never happen to a higher class individual. And you're also more likely to become a victim of police brutality just because of the sheer increased police presence and higher number of police interactions. But the thing is, this didn't stay contained in these lower class neighborhoods. It leaked out of the neighborhoods and it began affecting all minorities because it's easy for them to just make the connection between poverty and skin color. And then it became easy for them to just base suspicion off of skin color itself. And so it evolves from an issue of class and poverty and actual crime to race. It evolves into a racial issue. So history repeats itself, and this is eerily similar to the birth of racial slavery. So slavery used to be a class and religion issue. If you were of a lower class, or you followed a certain religion, or you didn't follow a certain religion, you're more likely to be enslaved. It actually had very little to do with the color of your skin directly. 
But as the slave trade grew and it, it exploded, the demand for slaves became huge and there were more and more Africans being sold as slaves because it was easier to obtain them in larger numbers and they perceived Africa as almost an infinite supply of slaves. Eventually, it just became easier to forget class and religion and just pair slavery with African. So and it was especially easy for Europeans to do this because they just looked at them differently. They, were, they looked different from them. They had different color skin. Their culture was different. So it became easier to just say black equals slave. And racial slavery was born and took over. Or not born, but it took over. It evolved from a class and religion issue to a racial issue. Now, obviously, I'm not directly comparing law enforcement to slavery, though the stripping of our rights would allow us to have that conversation, but that's not the comparison I'm making. I'm comparing the evolution of a treatment from a class issue to a racial issue and how it's happened before and how it's happening right now. And that is what systemic racism is. So no, it's not just about George Floyd. George Floyd was a huge spark that erupted these flames, but it's about much more than that. And systemic racism stems deeper than police brutality. They're definitely not protesters. They're not even rioters. They're the armed militia of the Democratic Party. They're working to overthrow our system of government. They're trying to put themselves in power. So this is textbook fear-mongering. And it's pretty comical how quickly they flip from us being sensitive, needing safe spaces, and we're snowflakes, to now we're an armed militia. Right? Now we're the spooky people with assault rifles which is strikingly similar phrasing to the Second Amendment, which they fully support for the very reason they're attacking us. I mean, the Second Amendment, the interpretation of the Second Amendment in the eyes of the right is so that we can defend ourselves from a potentially tyrannical government. And then he goes, goes on later in this video to defend the Founding Fathers without realizing that by making that comparison, if anything, you're only justifying our actions and almost implying that we're doing too little. Because the American Revolution happened in large part because the British enforced a tax on tea without us having representation in Parliament. So to the Founding Fathers, any slightest hint of the stripping of our rights could potentially lead to tyranny, and it should be treated as such. Something as small as a modest tax on tea. And it had very little to do with the actual financial aspect of it. The Boston Tea Party occurred because they actually lowered the tax on tea to make it cheaper than smuggling in tea from other countries. And that would incentivize the colonists to buy the tea from them. And then Britain could benefit from the tax. So even though they lowered the tax to make it cheaper, the colonists responded by saying, how dare you try and trick us into buying your tea and paying your tax? Without representation, that's a violation of our rights. And any violation of our rights should be treated as tyrannical behavior. And that to the founding fathers was overstepping. And it led to tens of thousands dead and a revolution. Now Tucker is trying to strike fear into his viewers by saying that's exactly what we're doing right now. And I don't bring it up to justify overthrowing the government. I bring it up to show you how the actions you're seeing today surrounding this issue are actually minuscule given how we're being treated. If a tax on tea led to that, then armed law enforcement brutally attacking and murdering innocent people without consequence should absolutely lead to public outcry and uprising. But to say the protests aren't protests and the riots aren't riots, but instead it's all a coordinated homegrown military effort to overthrow the government, that's just not what we're seeing today. We're calling for change away from the tyrannical behavior that the government is now allowing. We're not calling for a whole new government where we're in charge like the American Revolution did. 
And sure, there might be some extreme outliers, but there always are, and they don't represent the whole thing. What we're calling for is reform or an overhaul of the tyrannical aspects of the government. There's a big difference. These people are idiots, for real. The angry children you watch set fire to Wendy's and topple statues and scream at you on television day after day are truly and utterly stupid. There's probably never been a dumber group gathered in one place in all of American history. They're mouth breathers. They know nothing. They couldn't tell you who George Washington was. They don't know when the Civil War was fought, probably not even to the century. They say they oppose racism, and then they rip down monuments to abolitionists. They don't see the contradiction in that because they have no idea who the abolitionists were. They think it's a band from the 80s. It's funny how this argument for how all these people are so stupid is based off of very specific anecdotal examples that he just makes up. Like, we can't tell you who George Washington is. We don't know when the Civil War was fought, not even to the century. Like, those are very specific examples. So where's he getting the information from? Nowhere, because it's not true and he's making it up. I mean, is Infowars walking around asking basic U.S. history questions that people are embarrassingly answering wrong? Like, can you tell me when the Civil War was fought? Oh, I don't know. It was at least 30, 40 years ago. It's like, no, that's not happening. Tucker is just making this up to further his story and his mission to strike fear into the Fox News audience. But all this is really showing is how ignorant he is on the topic of U.S. history. Or at least how ignorant he wants his viewers to be. Because sure, it's easy to look at what's going on and think it's just mindless vandalism. But whether or not you agree with it, there is thought behind it. And there is a sense of justification for these actions. See, I don't really agree with tearing down all the statues to the degree that they are. I enjoy history. I think there are symbols that represent a period in history. But you can also look at it another way. That while these are statues of great men celebrating the great things they've done, and I'm talking about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and statues like that, not the Confederate statues, you can take those fuckers down. But some people see a statue of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and they see the elevating of them in the form of statues as actively suppressing and forgetting the thousands of people that they wronged. Because they were prominent slave owners, and their role in the expansion of the United States resulted in the deaths of thousands of Native Americans. Now, I see these statues a little differently, and I believe most people do. I see them more as a representation of a time in history and their role in it. And I think most people are, real, are smart enough to realize that, too. But I won't deny that the primary purpose of the statue is to lift up their glories and that that doesn't come at the cost of suppressing those that they wronged. So whether or not you agree with it, though, there is thought behind it. It isn't a result of them just tearing down statues because they don't know who they are. And it's all oh, statue. Like, it's just an incredibly ignorant narrative, even for Fox News. And so he brings up the call to tear down the statue of Abraham Lincoln, but totally leaves out the context. He says it's because those calling for it to be torn down literally have no clue who he is or what he's done. And I agree on its face to tear down an Abraham Lincoln statue seems incredibly contradicting and seems to make no sense. But it totally ignores important context and details about the statue because they're not calling to tear it down because it's a statue of Lincoln. It's because of what the statue displays and represents. Because this particular statue is a statue of a black man bowing at the feet of Lincoln on his knees, bowing to him. And so that gives off a sense of inferiority for the black man in the statue and black people in general. 
Now, again, you can interpret it differently and you can argue for why it shouldn't be torn down. And that's 100% a legitimate conversation that I think can be had. But Tucker's not willing to have that conversation. Instead, he just lies to his viewers and he blames it on pure ignorance. And it's shameful. So the statue of Ulysses S. Grant. Again, on its face, it makes little sense to tear it down. He was a general for the Union Army during the Civil War and played one of the biggest roles in defeating the Confederacy. But that just glorifies his glorified role in history. The reason they're tearing his statue down is because he was also responsible for some of the largest acts of genocide toward Native American people. Now, again, is it right to tear it down for that reason? That's a conversation that can be had. But even if you think it's wrong, you're unwilling to have a true conversation about it if you're going to knowingly base the conversation in lies from the start. I don't believe Tucker is saying these things because he's dumb and too ignorant about U.S. history to realize these justifications. He's consciously lying to his viewers because it's safer and it's easier to digest the lies for him. But if anything, the fact that he feels the need to lie about it in the first place at all, instead of talking about it truthfully, it really only gives the other side more credit. Now this next clip I'm only playing because it sounds like he thought the camera was off and he was talking about his viewers. Supposedly impressive, but they're not impressive at all. They're incredibly dumb. They fall for any lie, no matter how preposterous. The more preposterous, the more likely they are to fall for it. And like small children, they are afraid of everything. Okay, now listen to this clip that sounds like he's reading from a kid's book that was written to warn children at a young age about the perils of watching liberal media. I mean, you can literally like picture him turning the pages and see this oddly vulgar children's book illustrations as he's talking. This group lives in an affluent part of Minneapolis. After watching hours of CNN, they pledged to stop calling the police. Calling the police, they decided, was racist. So they didn't call police. Almost immediately, hundreds of mentally ill homeless drug addicts showed up and erected a tent camp in their park. Then prostitutes arrived. Then caravans of drug dealers showed up to service the addicts. People overdosed. Meanwhile, neighbors cowered in their own homes, unable to sleep. One resident, a man called Mitchell Erickson, found himself cornered by two thugs who put a gun into his stomach and demanded his car keys. So Erickson finally broke down. He called police. And then he deeply regretted it. Quote, I put those boys in danger of death by calling the cops, Erickson told the paper. Apparently not joking. Okay, now this situation is very questionable and much more complex. But one of the things that it shows is how the problem is systemic and not just related to the justice system. So, I mean, it, it's not like this neighborhood taking the stance not to call the police created these people. Any criminal activity that's happening was already happening in other areas of the city. And I, I'm not justifying it. I don't think anybody is arguing that it should be allowed. The point isn't that law enforcement isn't needed because some form of law enforcement is needed, obviously. These people want law enforcement. Everybody wants some form of law enforcement, but not a system of law enforcement that takes innocent lives with no consequence because that's not a price that we're willing to pay. The statement they're making is until there's a system of justice that holds the law enforcers just as accountable to the law as everyone else we will go without because sure, there's some drug dealing going on. There might be some property damage or the risk of property damage going on, and that's not good. But the point is, it's better than the alternative, which is a police department that can act violent and even murder innocent people who have done nothing wrong without consequence. 
And when you put it that way, you put those two options up against each other. You have a group of people that engage in drug dealing and prostitution and maybe some property damage. And then you have a group of people that attack and kill innocent people. Obviously, you would go with the former. And nobody's saying the former is good, but it's obviously better than the other option. So he talks about this in a way that's supposed to show how ridiculous their behavior is for refusing to call the cops. But really, all it does is show how much of a failure the existing law enforcement system is. The worse this neighborhood gets and they still don't call the police, it doesn't make the neighborhood look bad. It makes law enforcement look bad because that means they're worse than the activity in the neighborhood. And now you may not think the same way yourself. You may disagree and that's fine. But if we're going to talk about it, let's have a conversation about it. A real conversation where we take an honest look at the motives and not just lie about it. But that's, that's not what Tucker does because he doesn't want you to think independently. So don't fall too easily for this political bullshit. Political bullshit.